If you have your Bibles, take your copy, please, and turn with me to Mark's Gospel. If you don't have your Bible, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you, or uh, the passages I will look at will be on the screens behind me here. Mark's the second book of the New Testament, the second Gospel. If you've been with us the past several weeks, this is our 12th week, 12th and final week on the Gospel of Mark. Started the first week in February, slowly walking through this Gospel, and of course finishing it here on the climax on the Resurrection Sunday and reading Mark's version of the first Easter Sunday. So Mark chapter 16, I'll be looking at the first eight verses of that chapter, Mark 16 verses 1 through 8. I'm going to encourage you to stand with me and let's all honor God's word together. Remind ourselves this is his words to us. He has chosen to reveal himself in his word and I am so glad he did. Mark 16 beginning with verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He He is not here. See the place where they put him. But go, tell his disciples, and Peter, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. They went out and ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. Let's pray. Jesus, that first Easter Sunday, three women went expecting to dress up dead things. but you chose to interrupt their plans and give them a new purpose. I pray that similar things would happen across this room this morning. Because you came out of the tomb, Jesus, by the power of your spirit, you have the right and authority to walk among us. We don't think you into being, you are. And I'm asking you to come have your way for our good and for your glory. And I ask this in the strong name of Jesus, the risen one. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Have you ever blown it? Has it ever been your time to shine and you just messed it up? It was your time to be on the stage, the lights were on you, and you just blew it. Anybody here? Maybe you know somebody? My sisters and I still make fun of my dad. He had his time to shine, and he just blew it. I guess I was eight, nine, maybe 10. It was in the mid to late 80s. My family and I attended a small, we were living in a small town, attended First Baptist Church of Hartsell, Alabama. And at that time, when it came time to take up the offering, eight deacons 
Four walk down one aisle, four walk down another. The very last verse of the offertory hymn, and they made a semicircle around the Lord's Supper table and just stood there waiting for the song to end. And as an eight, nine-year-old boy, I'm thinking, oh, to be godly like that. They look like they're not happy, but they must be righteous. If they're walking down front and they're given the responsibility to take up offering, these guys must be holy. And my dad was a deacon, and so every five, six weeks, he was asked to be one of those eight guys who would walk down during the, during the offertory hymn and stand there and look miserable until the song was over. One Sunday, my dad got asked to pray the offertory prayer. That was really righteous people. He got asked to ascend the platform after the song was over, grab the huge white pulpit at First Baptist Church of Hartzell and pray for God's people to let go of the money in their wallets and place it abundantly in the offering plates. And word got to my sisters and I that dad had been asked to pray the offertory prayer and we were just giddy. Dad, this is your chance. This is it. This is your moment. You can show the rest of First Baptist Heart so that you can hang with those guys. Work on your prayer. Write it out if you have to. This is your time to shine. And so the day came. My mom was always sitting behind an organ or a piano, and so it was just me and my two sisters, and we were just nervous for him. They walked down, and I need to tell you that this was in the middle of football season. And if you know anything about the state of Alabama, there's two seasons, football season and preseason. That's it. And you pull for one of two teams. And this was in the late 80s. And so I don't know what had happened the previous day before on Saturday, but I promise you the only thing the guys were talking about and many ladies were what happened on the, on the football field the day before among one of their two teams. So we were in the middle of football season when this happened, and the deacons came down forward, my dad, one of them, and if you were praying, you were the one on the end, and when the song ended, you ascended, and we were praying, oh God, please don't let him trip up the steps. And he made the steps, and, we were, yeah. and then he goes and he stands and he grabs the pulpit, and he says, let us pray. You know how bad just, let us pray. And so he says, let us pray. And we're just, and he goes, Father, thank you for the Holy Sport, Spirit. <laughs> and we're like, oh, Dad, you blew it. It was your time to show everybody that you could hang with these guys, and you called the third member of the Trinity an athletic event. How could you do it? You called God Holy Sport. We know where his mind was. You blew it, Dad, in your time to shine. I read Mark 16 and over and over and over again, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, it's your time to shine and you blew it. You just blew it. I don't know if you caught it or not, but a first century person reading Mark's gospel would have started off by saying, what in the world? The first person I read that goofs in this text is Mark. At least it seems like he goofs. Colossal error in his moment of opportunity. Did you notice who he said was the first one at the tomb? Three women. And he names them Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, 
and Salome. He doesn't have to tell us the last name for Salome because nobody names their child Salome. And if you're a first century reader, you're reading this and you're thinking, Mark, my man, you're building your case for people to believe in this Jesus. You've written about his life. You've carved out a huge chunk to tell us that the purpose is his death, that the Son of God died. And now here comes, here comes the crux of it. Mark, if, if there's no resurrection, then all of it is naught. Nothing matters. It's all empty claims. If, he hasn't, if he's still in the tomb and still dead, it doesn't matter. And you start your resurrection account by telling us three women were your primary witnesses? Now, before you think I'm some chauvinist sicko, you need to understand in first century world, women were marginalized to the extreme. Women were not allowed to speak in a court of law because they were considered not able to give a valid testimony. I'm not saying I agree with that or I believe that. I'm just saying that was reality for first century world. If you were going to write an account where you wanted to give valid testimony, you didn't include women as the ones who were going to verify it. And Mark, building up his case, says, the last one's at the cross and the first one's at the tomb, Mary, Mary, and Salome. People have used this argument, this verse throughout history to say the resurrection couldn't have happened. Women weren't valid in first century world to give testimony. As a matter of fact, in the second century, there was a known antagonist against Christianity named Celsus. And he wrote many arguments against Christianity, one of his main ones being Mark 16, 1. And here's what he said about it. He said, Christianity can't be true because the written accounts of the resurrection are based on the testimony of women, and we all know women are hysterical. I'm guessing Celsus never married. <laughs> I don't know. What's Mark doing? He had his chance. Mark, you blew it. Or did he? If you think about it, this authenticates his argument. Church, hear me. If Mark was going to make up this story, he wouldn't have said women were the first ones there. If Mark was going to make this up, he would have included trusted sources, if you will. What Mark's saying is, hey, this is how it went down. This is how it happened. And oh, by the way, let me, let me tell you who they are so you can go ask them yourself what they saw. Mary Magdalene, go find her. Mary, not just Annie Mary, Mary the mother of James, go find her and go find Salome. This actually happened. Go find them. This verifies the argument that Jesus came out of the tomb because if Mark wanted to make it up, he wouldn't have written it this way. This is how it happened. Go ask him, he says. So thankfully, whew, Mark knew what he was doing. But there's a second. <laughs> I've been picking on Peter this whole series. And one day when I get to heaven, Peter's just going to clock me. I know, I know he will. But I'm so glad Peter's in the Bible because he makes me feel so much better about myself. Whenever you feel down about your walk with Jesus, just read the Gospels and imagine yourself as Peter and you will feel great. Peter royally messed up. 
If you think you've sinned and your sin is bad, you've done nothing as bad as Peter. Three days before this account, hours before Jesus was arrested, Jesus looked at Peter, the leader of the disciples, by the way, and said, tonight, before morning, you're going to deny knowing me three times. Peter all but calls him crazy and says, there's no way. Then he throws the other 11 under the bus and says, they might, I ain't. It's my translation. Peter says, they may deny you, but I won't. I'm your main guy. You're crazy if you think I'm going to deny you. Jesus gets arrested, gets treated like a criminal, gets treated like a non-human. And before Peter knows it, three different times, people say, do you know Jesus? And he says, oh, no. One time, it's a teenage girl. He's not even man enough to, to, uh, to a teenage girl to say that he knows Jesus. Another time, he goes on this, this spree of cursing, saying, there's no way I know this Jesus. And then Jesus dies. Jesus, pre- Jesus predicted Peter's denial, and Peter denies knowing Jesus three times after he said he never would. What do you think you would do if you did that and that was you and you heard that the guy that you dissed three times after you promised not to had gone into a tomb for three days and now was alive from the dead looking for you? (laughs) Did you notice in the text what the angel in the tomb said to the ladies? Look with me in verse 5. Watch this. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed. Does it bother you that the angels are always a hair late? They are alarmed. Don't be alarmed. Already am. You read it all through the Bible. They saw angels. They were afraid. Don't be afraid. Too late. Angels are always just a hair late. And they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed. Oh, thanks. Okay. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Watch this. See the place where they put him, but go tell his disciples and Peter. <laughs> don't, don't, don't. Go tell his disciples and don't forget Peter. <laughs> Oh, I would be, I, I just have this same, the same thoughts when my mom would say, you just wait till your daddy comes home. He always came home. Can you imagine these ladies when they said, they found the disciples and said, hey, Jesus is alive. And they're asking, he's asking for you to meet him in Galilee. And he specifically asked for you, Pete. He did. What would you think? What you think right now that Jesus would do to Peter is what you think of God when you blow it, by the way. What does Jesus do to people who diss him? What does Jesus do to people who diss him? Mark doesn't tell us, but thankfully we have the rest of the Gospels in the whole New Testament. You know what happened? You can read it for yourself in John 21. You know what happened when Jesus and Peter met face to face? Jesus restored him. 
Jesus refreshed him. Jesus forgave him. Does that make you mad a little bit? It does me. Because when somebody does me wrong, I want them to pay. Somebody has got to pay. Somebody has got to be punished. When I sin against God, you know what I think? I'm thinking, God, I don't, I don't deserve your love. I need to make up for it. I need to, I need to be punished for what I've done. Somebody's got to pay for my sin, and I have sinned against you, and I deserve to be punished. That's what I think. And when I've sinned against Jesus, and I hear Jesus is looking for me, you know what I think? Nine times out of ten, my first thought is, oh, no. But Jesus restores Peter. He doesn't condemn him. He forgives him. He doesn't say, I'm done with you. He says, come walk with me. How does that work that way? Somebody's got to pay for Peter's sin. How is it that Peter could just go in and walk with Jesus as if nothing had happened? Get this, church, because this is the essence of Christianity. Peter goofed. Peter blew it. Peter messed up. Peter failed. Peter was a sinner, and Jesus came to restore him. How could he do it? Because a resurrected Jesus says, I've already paid for your punishment. I died because I knew you'd blow it. I came out of the tomb to bring you life, not death. Is the first thing out of your mind when you think Jesus is looking for you, is it condemnation or is it life? If it's condemnation, you're believing a lie about the gospel. If it's life, you know that he comes to restore. If you believe you can't be punished for your sins, he's paid it in full. Do you believe? He comes and says, I've atoned for it. It's done. Come walk with me. Trust me. Follow me. That's the gospel, church. Somebody needs to pay for our sins. You betcha. And Jesus did it. And he came out of the tomb defeating it. Do you notice where he wants him to go meet him? Galilee. Why is that a big deal? Because that's where it all started. It's as if Jesus is saying, let's start over, boys. Let me give you a fresh start. Let's, do, let's have a do-over. This is what it all means. Let's start over. And church, that's what he's about. Don't think that he's out to get you. If anything, he's out to be with you and you with him. I'm glad Peter blew it because now we know what Jesus does with those who sin against him. He says, Let's go together. And then there's a final one I want to point out to you. And I fear we do it every Sunday, if not more so. We wake up not expecting much, like these women on that first Easter Sunday. We wake up thinking we're just going to go pretty up dead things. Why do you go to a cemetery? to go remember, to honor, to do everything you can to keep the memories alive of someone who's dead. 
That's why you go to a cemetery. These women got up before it was light, which means they got up while it was dark to get ready to go to a cemetery, which in and of itself is a little creepy. But they go to a cemetery expecting to see a dead body, and they put spices together so they can embalm this dead body and do what they can to honor a dead man. They woke up expecting to jazz up, pretty up something that was dead. They never expected a resurrection. But get this, church, Jesus had told them he would rise from the dead over and over and over. Pick it up with me in verse, uh, verse 7. Watch this. Verse 7. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. They went out and ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them, and they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. Do you see that? He's been telling you. He's been telling you. He's been telling you. He's been telling you. But you didn't wake up expecting it. And I wonder how many of you, how many of you are here on Easter Sunday because you've heard it all your life, but it does nothing to you. You just think, well, God's not going to do anything today. I'm just going to dress up this dead stuff and see, see if I can get through another Easter. See if we can just get through this morning. I'm just going to go and, and go see a dead body, go see a dead church, go through the dead motions, not expecting God to do anything. Don't blow it like these ladies did. What did God do? God showed up and said, I, I'm not the God of the dead. I'm the God of the living. Trust me. Do you believe God can bring dead things to life? If so, it's a game changer. Do you believe God can raise the dead? I fear we hear this story and go through life polishing up dead things, never expecting God can actually raise it from the dead. So why are you here this morning? What happened when you woke up this morning? What areas of your life are dead? You want to dress it up again? Or you're needing God to intervene. By the way, you can't just think it up. You can't just have enough positive thoughts. That may get you through 10 minutes. But this isn't something the ladies just thought up until it happened. This is something God did to them. Do you see? God did it. They had a plan of going to the cemetery. God says, no, nope, you're going to Galilee today. And I think there's, God says to, to a bunch of us, you had this plan to go be around dead things today. But no, no, no. God says, I'm, I'm alive. Let's go to Galilee. And he interrupts our plans. Why, why are you here? Maybe you've still got questions about the resurrection. Maybe you're like, you know what? Wonder what if that is true? What if Jesus never did come from the dead? What if, I mean, that's just crazy talk. I'm telling you, Mark would not have written it this way if Jesus, if he was making it up. But just in case you're struggling, I wondered if we'd have some people here today that's struggling. I asked the smartest man I know, Dr. Paul Wilkinson, to be here with us Wednesday night to give a defense of the resurrection. He's known as an apologist, which means he defends the faith of Christianity. And for an hour at 6 o'clock in the fellowship hall, he's going to be giving defenses or, or um, uh, verifying the authentication of the resurrection. I'd love for you to join us and explore it more. Or maybe you're here and you thought, I have blown it far beyond any God could forgive me. Peter denied Jesus three times, but yeah, he's in the Bible. Well, he doesn't know about my story. 
And you think you are too far gone and God just can't forgive you and you need to own up or you need to pay for your sin. You need to be punished or something needs to happen to you. Hear me. Yeah, you did. And yeah, I do. And you will again and I will again. My hope is not in what Matt Pearson does and doesn't do. My hope's in what Jesus has done. I still struggle with that. There are many days I believe, but I need help overcoming my unbelief. And I dare say that the crux of your problem is not believing that the crucified Jesus came out of the tomb. You are free if you believe. I'm going to ask Brad and the musicians to come on up. We're going to dismiss with a song about the worthiness of Jesus. And I wonder if some of you maybe, you've even got questions. Okay, I believe this Jesus maybe came out of the tomb. Maybe he's the son of God, but I've still got questions. You know what I love about the women in this text? They had questions, but they went anyway. First question they had, who's going to roll away this big stone? We're, we're, we're women. We need some help to roll away the stone. And they get there, done. You ever stressed out about something stupid? Not you, but maybe your spouse. <laughs> you ever stressed out about something just crazy, and you get there, and it's already taken care of? They're, they're, on the, they're getting up the first Easter morning. Who's going to roll away the stone? Who's going to roll away the stone? Done. What are, what are we supposed to do now? He's alive. Are you kidding me? What are we supposed to do? Go to Galilee. What are we supposed to do in Galilee? Just go. Maybe you still got questions. That's a good place to be. Ask your questions. Go to Jesus with your questions. Let us help you with your questions. You say, what do I do next? Just do the next thing. After the service in the fellowship hall are all across this building, there's going to be people wearing these orange stickers. <coughs> Excuse me. How can we help you? It's there for two reasons. One, to show you where the bathrooms are. And two, to say, for you to know who you can go to to say, I need, I need some help. And if they can't help you, they know someone who can. That's why they're there. So we can help you in your next step. Maybe some of you just need to give up control. <laughs> you know you can't control Jesus, right? You go looking for him in a tomb. He ain't there. You try to figure out where he's going to go next. He tells you where he's going to go next. Maybe the best thing you can do this morning is give up control to the one who has all the control but who refuses to be controlled. And that is life. Give up control to the one who has all the control but refuses to be controlled. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Jesus, thank you. Have your way with us now. May we not waste this Easter. You are, you are welcome to have your way with our hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name.